0: Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to Free Association, your place for everything you need to know about the Raptors, about the NBA and Canada basketball in general. And we're talking all of those things on this edition. I, as usual, and the same host, Donovan Bennett, but joined by Tyler Ennis and Tamara Tatum. Yes, two people who have represented Canada internationally. Tamara Tatum actually has gone to the Olympics twice for Canada, and she took some time in between coaching for the Varsity Blues Women and toronto raptors 905 to spend some time at MLSE launchpad for an all-female community gym event that's where i caught up with her to talk about her ascension from a player representing canada to being the first woman from this country ever to coach and professional basketball and speaking of the professional basketball team in this country talk to tyler ennis about the raptors and whether or not they actually care they're in this weird Malays right now and how different their rotation might look in the playoffs it's one of my favorite editions of the podcast so far this season lots of canadian basketball talk and oh yeah the ncaa tournament is here it is march and this is free association so tyler back with us again thank you so much for coming through my second favorite light skin point guard behind you, Fred Van Vliet, back after 12 games with the thumb injury, and it looks like my guy missed no time. 17 points, 4-5 or five from 3, 6-10 or 10 from the floor, just teethed Jeremy Lin's little starting spot and started yeah. the, the second half against Detroit. I kind of always say that you don't realize how valuable a player is until they're not there. Right. And I think that's the case on this team with Fred.
1: Yeah, I agree. Obviously, I think Lynn was at a little disadvantage, obviously being new and, you know, losing Lowry and Van Vliet kind of, you know, you're just kind of throwing him in there and expecting the same results, which, you know, I think is hard to do as a new player. But it's only been one game. But I think Van Vliet, obviously, is a lot more comfortable and looks like the better option. You know, if it comes down to picking one of them when playoff time comes, I think it's pretty obvious who you'd go with and how would go with Van Vliet.
0: Here's my biggest issue with the Raptors right now, and listeners, you've probably figured this out at this point. Tyler comes in, and he's like my Raptors therapist, <laughs> and I get out all my issues with the team, and then like 45 minutes later, I feel like they you can win a championship better. again. <laughs> my biggest issue is if we're talking about teams that are legit contenders to to hoist the Larry O'Brien, like not like we're going to mess around, have a deep run, uh, like no, like those... Rings and things you sing about, bring them out. like an actually win. So, you know, Golden State, Houston, maybe the teams at the top of the East, depending on if you believe in Milwaukee or Philly or Boston right. or Toronto. Those teams, I think if the three of us had a conversation, me, you, and Emil, we would say that Team X is down two. They need a bucket. Who are the five guys that are on the floor? I think we know. They're up two. They need to stop. I think we know who the five guys are. This Raptors team... I have no idea who those five guys are in any situation. And we've got 11 games left in the season. Is that an issue? I don't necessarily
1: think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, with certain teams, you know the five just because that's the best five clear cut. Whereas I think the Raptors, there's different options. Obviously, you could play Van Vliet and Lowry. You can go with Danny Green at the shooting guard. You can... You know mix and match the centers. I think the only spot that's really two spots that are really locked down is Pascal at the four and Kawhi at the three. And whether it's defensively whatever you need defensively you need three-point shooting I think you can mix and match the combination at the guard of Lowry Van Vliet and Danny Green and then maybe throw Jeremy Lin in there depending on how he's playing. But um, I think it's a good problem to have for the Raptors being so deep and having so many players I think it's just going to come down to who Nick Nurse kind of decides to kick out the rotation, you know, once the playoffs start.
0: So who's your five? Because I, as I just said, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And moving forward, when I get asked in radio interviews, I'm just going to default to whatever you are about to tell me. (laughs) So in a situation where you need a bucket and Tyler is the coach, who's your five?
1: Obviously, Lowry. If we're playing the, the Sixers, I think is the only team where you really... Need a big out there, you know, whether at Serge or Marc Gasol to guard and and kind of handle that But if you're able to go small, I would play Pascal at the 5 and I think, you know The Raptors have done that a little bit, but you know, I think that gives you more shooting having Kawhi at the 4 Danny Green at the 3, Van Vleet and Lowry and that gives you 3 or 4 playmakers depending on how you look at Pascal and you have shooting out there I think it's just a matter of being able to play small and guard the other team on the other side and the only team I could think of that really has a, a dominant center is Joel Embiid that you really can't you know, expect Pascal to, to go out there and handle him by himself.
0: Before we get to who your five would be if you needed a bucket, and let's say you needed two or better, because if you needed three, it's obviously a different conversation. But you mentioned Pascal at the five, which is something that coming into this year I thought I was going to see a lot. He's going to be like the East Coast Draymond mm-hmm. and be able to play five and, and create at the top. Haven't seen that a lot. Then Serge decides that, you know, he's not just a studio gangster, that he's I really about that life right. and goes and gets suspended. <laughs> I'm like, okay, now you have no choice because you're not going to play Gasol 40 minutes a night. Right, You're forced to play Pascal at the five, but we're getting Moreland minutes for some reason, even though he's he may not be on the team in two weeks, mm-hmm. never mind here when the playoffs start. We're getting some Chris Boucher minutes, which I like because I love what Slim Duck adds to the table but we haven't seen a lot of Pascal mm-hmm. at the five. Maybe they've done it at the place previously known as BioSteel, now the Ovio Athletic Center, and they're just waiting to roll it out in the playoffs. Maybe Nurse isn't interested. Why do you think we haven't seen small ball from a guy who, when he was a coach in the G League, he played exclusively small ball in Nick Nurse?
1: I think it's tough when you're playing... Serge Ibaka twenty million a year, and Mm. he's also playing well this year. And then you you added Mark Gasol to the mix, but you also had Jv before him. So I think it's tough to kind of just exclusively say, "All right, we're going small," just because we want to see Pascal at the five when you have good options at the five. I think it's more, you know, if you're playing Milwaukee, a situation when you're playing Milwaukee and Giannis is at the five, and then they have a bunch of shooters and guards around him. I think that's you know the ideal time. But you know, I don't think you know it's a, a must to play Pascal at the five. I think. We were watching the the Laker game, and he was bringing the ball up basically with uh, when there was only Jeremy Lin, you know, as a point guard on the roster, you know. But I think it's just the option the Raptors have. I think I would like it um, in certain situations, um, especially if you know they do make it to the finals and are playing the Golden State that really forces them to do that because you're not going to have Serge Ibaka and Mark Gasol switching on to to Steph Curry and those guys. So it's an option they have. I think it will come out in the playoffs, but I also think. They have really good options at the five as well. So it's really up to Nick Nurse what he wants to do and how he wants to to play it.
0: None of this matters in terms of what happens in the regular season. This all matters in terms of how it impacts basketball in the playoffs. But especially for me as a fan, and I kind of watch the game of basketball through the lens of the football player because I I used to play football, and imposing your will on the opposition and making them change what they do to defend you. I hated when Dwayne Casey would say, oh, the other team went small? We got to get JV out of the game. I
1: agree totally. I
0: would rather you say, okay, fine, we're going to punish you on the other end. Right. And force you to switch up. In terms of the utilization, or lack thereof, of Pascal, I'd love to see Nick Nurse say, guess what? We're playing small. Mm -hmm. So you're big that's killing us on offensive glass. They
1: got to guard, yeah.
0: He has to either go sit down beside you, or he has to guard. Right. When you as a player were seeing your coach... Revert to making decisions based on what the other team did with their rotation. Was that almost like a sign of lack of confidence in what you're doing?
1: I, I agree totally with what you're saying. I did think we had options, you know, whether that was Milwaukee or, you know, Houston, where we were able to kind of dictate the game and instead we kind of played. If we're playing a team that's going small, we would go small and instead of pushing the needle and kind of forcing them to adjust to us. But I think it just depends on the coach. A lot of coaches aren't willing to kind of put their neck out there and, and say, you know what, I wanted to go small. It was a bad decision and, you know, I messed up and I lost the game. They'd rather go with what the obvious way to go is. If a team's going big, I'll go big. And then that way, you know, they're able to kind of guard their back when the media and whatever the owner asks. But, you know, I always love coaches that were able to, to kind of make moves. And if it was something great, then everyone in the rest of the league follows it. Cause everybody just kind of follows what, you know, the successful team's doing like, Golden State going small, and now everybody wants to go small. But if the Raptors go big and they win, then everyone's going to go big next year. So it just kind of depends you know, on the coach and how much freedom he has and how much confidence he's able to you know, kind of show through these moves and the subs and everything like that.
0: When we get to the playoffs, and it's been this way the last couple of years, when teams play Golden State and Houston, you know that Steph Curry and James Harden are going to be involved in every pick right. and roll, whether mm-hmm. it's 1-4, one 1-5, They're going to, to the point where they might as well just start guarding that other guy, whoever they want to feature offensively. But those coaches don't panic. They say, okay, guess what? We're going to give you buckets on the other end. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to see that more from this current group in terms of the Raptors and how they use their guys and, and see them impose their will with Pascal. Or it was one of my few issues, I suppose, with Casey. Getting back to those lineups and how you manipulate them, who would be your... You're five. If you need a bucket,
1: I would go Lowry one or Van Vliet one. Lowry two, Kawhi, Pascal, and probably Gasol. Honestly, just because he gives you more of playmaking than Ibaka does. But saying that, I'd also switch out, you know, Gasol and put in Danny Green, depending. Mm. You know, he gives you, I think, a little bit more shooting um, and spacing the floor for Van Vliet and Kawhi and all them to work. But you have the options, too, if whether Kawhi's injured or whatever. You, you could throw in OG at the four. You could throw in different guys. You could throw in Norm in there as well. But I think that's the five I I'd go with. I've seen the Raptors. I think they really like the Van Vliet and Lowry one, two, and kind of lets Lowry play off the ball and score and, and whatnot. But they have, basically, with Gasol and, out there and you know the rest of the guys, they have five guys that could really make plays for themselves, but also for others. And they also have the shooting. And they're big, so they wouldn't necessarily get out-rebounded too much, too. So I like that five.
0: You mentioned Kawhi and his health, and he's been really good. This year, he's got five games with 30 points and 10 rebounds. In his entire career, all seven seasons coming into this year, he only did that four times. So this has been his best self. However, he's he's probably not going to get to 70 games played. Mm -hmm. He might not get to 65 fans are starting to get a little bit tired of the load management. Nick Nurse earlier in the year was saying, oh, the load management's going to end soon. Mm-hmm. And around December, someone told him to stop saying that because right. it, it didn't, didn't end, end <laughs> and it still hasn't ended. I was talking to Michael Grange and he said, you could find a situation this year where in series, the first games, they're super spread out because you want all those games on on TV an important situation. So you're playing once every three days. Mm -hmm. But on the back end of series, it's every other day because there's less series to to have on TV because some teams will swap their games and win in five. He could see scenarios where in short rest with Kawhi playing a lot of minutes, Raptors would have to make a decision. To sit him out? Yeah.
1: I think... (laughs) I've always been an advocate i think for the load management just because first of all Kawhi's coming off he didn't play all of last year now that he is playing he's playing big minutes and he's also basically isoing and doing a lot on the court so i do think the load management throughout the year was smart and i think it will pay off in the playoffs hopefully for the raptors but i think if we see players use the load management in the playoffs i think that'll start we already see the load management people people going crazy and the old school guys, the old NBA players kind of going against it, you know, but I think if a guy really sits out a, a playoff series for load management, I think we'll see, see a lot of stuff. I think oh, we'll see fire.
0: We'll see fire. Yeah. Like we'll see a riot in Jurassic Park. Right. <laughs> like it will, They will tear down the building. And before you get in my mentions or Grange's mentions, he was not reporting this. He didn't say this is something that he heard or something that he believed. He just said Based on the usage of Kawhi to this point, clearly there's a threshold that they're not comfortable getting close to. Right. Because he's not playing back to backs. Like Sunday is a day of rest for him. He's not playing Sunday games. <laughs> like he's basically playing two two games a week. Right. And nothing above that. And so he could foresee an interesting conversation dilemma that in a playoff scenario, let's say, you know, that it's normally between game five and game six. Mm-hmm where you play a a late-night game on a Friday. You're switching locations, so you're getting on the plane, but the next game is a Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of turnaround plus travel in between. You've asked them to play 40 minutes, 43, maybe it's an overtime game, and them saying, okay, we've had this hard line in terms of what the medical information says with you up to this point. Mm -hmm. Now these games mean something, but let's be honest. There's different things we could win. We could win this series, or we could win that signature on July 1.
1: Right, right, right. And
0: saying that we really have your best interests at heart, more so than your previous team Mm -hmm. in the Spurs. For context, the Spurs were a team who they invented load management.
1: Right, exactly.
0: They made it cool so much so that Stern fined them because they put Manu and Timmy (laughs) on a plane and flew them back because they weren't going to be playing. Right. So if you weren't comfortable in that situation, we want to make sure that you are that you overstand that mm-hmm. we care about your health. He said if the Raptors don't take care of business early in series, he wonders if there'll be some interesting decisions in the playoffs. I think the whole scenario is fascinating because what's success? A success a good relationship with Kawhi or success winning as many playoff games as you can?
1: Right, and I think that'll be interesting. I, I can't see it happening, honestly, but I think if it does, that'll be the whole season in that sense around the Kawhi stuff is kind of keeping the Raptors in good graces with them just so you know they have a better chance of resigning them. But I think once the playoffs come, I think that's a whole different level. And, you know, there's no back-to-backs in the playoffs. So I think if everybody else, you know, at this point you've played, there's been 82 games, however many you play. So once you get in the playoffs, everybody's tired. Everybody's hurt, beat up, and you're not playing a back-to-back. So I think everybody, injury or not, should be playing. If it's not a serious injury, you know, that you can't play through, I can't see a lot of guys sitting out the playoffs. Even if it's contract year. You seen, uh, I think it was Damari Carroll, before he signed with the Raps when he, I think he hurt his knee. I think they were playing Cleveland. Yeah. And he was kind of playing Double through it. He still got paid. I think he, he had a knee issue, you know, end of the season, whatever. So yeah, I think, Raptors fans
0: wish he didn't get paid. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: but once you get the playoffs, that's what everybody kind of, that's what the season is for, you know. So I can't see Kawhi sitting out. Sitting out any games unless it's an injury that comes up.
0: The interesting thing... About this team, and we talked to you a bit about this in broad terms. Now we're looking at the real life scenario of who they match up well with mm-hmm. in the playoffs and who they don't. And Quiet's kept as good of a record as they have. They're only plus three in terms of win differential against Eastern Conference playoff teams. So they've they've played the rest of the East pretty close. They are zero and three against the Detroit Pistons. Where. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Casey is saving all of his best work for his ex, the (laughs) Toronto Raptors. It looks like Detroit's played so well, winning nine of their last games at home and 10 of the last 14 overall, that they're probably going to get too high to face Toronto in the first round. But are there guys in that locker room saying to themselves, man, I don't want to see Blake Griffin again. I don't want to see Drummond again. Or are they saying, man, when we come to the Little Caesars arena, it looks like a Raptors game. Right. There's so many fans here. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you think they're balancing the, that pro and con with that situation?
1: Um, honestly, I don't think so. I think the Raptors, purely from like a, a fan watching them, but also as a player who's kind of been in the playoffs one year, um, they seem like they're very confident. You know, whether that's you know Lowry's experience in the playoffs, Kawhi's experience, um, the depth they have. So I think they're at the point. I think where they don't really care who they play. You know, I think they're looking past. The first round, I think they're gonna get that. But um looking towards playing the the Phillies or the Milwaukee's or the, the Bostons of the East, as opposed to worrying about the Detroit or the Brooklyns or you know, whoever else is the the bottom four of the East. But you know, saying that, I think with the Indiana series last year we seen a team that nobody really expects kind of come in and, and give them a run. But you know, I think if the Raptors do what they're supposed to, they'll handle business and it'll it'll be more those top four, of the Boston Toronto, uh, Milwaukee, and Philly that, you know, they really have to to lock in to win.
0: Your Orange got in. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Got the 8th seed in the West. (laughs) Surprised. Are you surprised? (laughs) I am.
1: I am. Why? Because we didn't have a great regular season. We had a few good wins. Obviously the Duke game was a a huge win, but um, we also had a couple bad losses. Especially in the Dome. That's that's not something Cuse fans are used to, especially me being a a bitter old alum, you know, of Cuse, but we see in the tournament when Q's plays. I think it's a it's tough for a team to to go and kind of get ready for the zone within a day or two of the tournament. You know, so unless we run into a, a old Big East rival or a ACC team, I think the Q's could kind of surprise some teams.
0: I love how you say we. You were there for like seven months. I
1: I, I know, but I you know I'm not attached to any other
0: university, so <laughs> so it, this is my. So how do you like your chances? You got Baylor. In the first round, the number nine, eight nines at the best of times tough, yeah. are tough to predict because it pretty much is a 50-50. The only difference is who's wearing home whites. Two uh, programs who love to recruit Canadians. How do you like your your seed, your, the way the bracket falls for the Cues? Um,
1: honestly, I haven't watched Baylor a whole ten this year, so I'm going to go with Cues again to them. But um, I think they have a, a okay squad. There's games where they, they come in and, and look great. There's games they look terrible, but... You know, we've seen that with the—I don't remember what year, but it was the the Malachi Richardson year, mm-hmm. where, you know, they there was games they looked terrible, the games looked great, but you know they hit their stride going into the tournament and and made a run and surprised a lot of people, including myself.
0: What are you expecting from the Canadian O'Shea Brissett?
1: You know, I think he's a lot more aggressive. I talked to him personally. You know, I think last year he was kind of surprised with this year coming in, and and that's another thing that I argue is that. College, a lot of if you ask a lot of NBA players, they talk about how, how much harder it is to score in college than it is the NBA. And, you know, with O'Shea kind of coming in under the radar, he was um a surprise and this year I think teams are able to kind of scout him. He's had his good games, he's had his okay games, but he's due for a good stretch of games, so hopefully it comes, you know, in the tournament time.
0: What is the selection Sunday event like? An event being having Television cameras sit and film you guys sit and watch TV. Right. What was that? What was that experience like? Um, I think for us
1: it wasn't as exciting as you'd think, you know as a fan It's great because you get to see the whole field you get to see where your teams are playing you get to see everything but As a player, um, we were fresh off of losing in the ACC tournament So I think we came straight out of practice and kind of sat down But it was more so the excitement of seeing where we're playing and who we're playing. It's not Not as exciting when you see the teams that don't know whether they're going to get in or not and then get that, you know, initial surprise of like, okay, yeah, we got in. But, you know, we knew we were going to be in the tournament. I think we got a four seed, so we were kind of disappointed about that because we kind of let it slip. We were the number one team in the country for the whole year, basically, and then lost a stretch of like, you know, over a stretch of like eight games. We lost a bunch of those. So we kind of just kind were trying to lock in, and we were playing in Buffalo. That was was the most exciting thing just because we knew we'd have – we'd have a, a ton of Syracuse fans come down.
0: Yeah, I remember that. I was there. I want my three bills, Canadian, that I paid on StubHub <laughs> for those tickets. Should have hit me up. Sean Pierre and the Dayton Flyers upset you in the first <laughs> round. What I want to know, and I don't know if you know, if you've heard from any of the dudes who are on these teams, are especially in the age of social media, CBS can't just send cameras to the schools, to the gyms, to the... Meeting rooms of schools who are in the tournament because all those bubble teams who have no camera show up know that they're not in right So they basically have to send some fake cameras to a oh. bunch of places Knowing that these teams are not gonna be shown get, on um, TV I want to know what that experience is like like some guy standing behind a camera just like basically waiting it. for seven o'clock Eastern for him to be able to like unplug right that's like the reality show I want like your bracket bubble has been burst. Right,
1: right. A funny situation that reminded me of was the draft. So being in the, the green room, uh, my year was the first year they invited like, I want to say 25 to 30 guys. So they invited basically whoever they thought was going to be in the first round. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think before it was only the top 14 they thought. So my thing was like once they, I got the invite, I thought it was 14. So I'm like, dang, <laughs> the last thing I want is to be the last person in this room and slip to whatever. But, you know, it was like 20 of us, but they'd always... um. We knew Wiggins was going first. Oh, you knew that? We knew Wiggins was going first. So you know Embiid, Wiggins? No, we knew it. Because of the injury or
0: just because? Because of the
1: injury and I think whatever. It was his back. So everyone's like, oh, we don't know how serious or whatever. But they'd always bring out a camera to the guy. Mm. But they'd also bring out some fake cameras and kind of, we'd kind of guess. Like they'd bring out two cameras and go on two guys. So you knew it was going to be one of them two. (laughs) But uh, luckily I wasn't the guy that got the fake camera while I was in there because I would have been pissed. Like, all right. But, um. For the most part, you know. I think you. They told me right when the um I got 18th pick, and right when the 17th was done, my agent told me, "Do you want to be surprised, or you want me to tell you ahead?" I'm like, "No, tell me ahead. What if I'm texting or something? You right. know I, And so um he told me, and you kind of got to hold it down and just million uh thoughts running through your head, and you tell the people you want to tell, like, okay, this is where you want to film because I'm about to get drafted. But right. you know, it was just a a funny situation. But I, I don't know, maybe they. Teams are on the bubble, don't see a camera and they're like, Well, this this might be it. We might go NIT. So
0: Yeah, I feel like they have to send a camera or like actors who are pretending they're a camera crew right. to those spots just so that nobody tweets like or FaceTimes and is like, Yeah, well no one's here, so So is it wrap? We, we we know we didn't get in. It's funny that you said to your agent you wanted to know, because all the thoughts that would have been going through your head. My thoughts would have been like exclusively I woke up in a brand new Bugatti. Like right. that's what I would be thinking. I would have already spent the money, like Google, okay, 18th pick, what's the slot, how much, okay, spent, don't don't care about taxes or anything else. The The interesting thing, though, and again, I'm just, you know, interested in the human interest aspect of it as like a former psych major and sociology major is, okay, so you know now, okay, who am I hugging first? Mom Dukes first? Pops? <laughs> Bro, like, how how am I how am I working this? do I want to put on the hat like cocked to the side or straight? <laughs> I would have like played out the whole thing, and it was stern still at the time. No, right? first year. Oh, of, it was the first year, first silver? year of silver. Yeah. Am I just business shaking hands? Right. Am I going with the, like a little dap or the hug to the commission? Would, uh, this is the stuff I would have thought of I'm after actually, I spent the money. Right.
1: I'm actually glad I didn't think that the most <laughs> because that's a lot. But no. um... Because you have, like, I think they gave you a number. I think six people at the table. So your agent's one and then whoever else you pick. So, like, it was, like, set. Like, my brothers, my parents, my agent, boom. Like, you know, we didn't have to—my sisters were too young and whatever else. But—
0: Were you single at the time?
1: I had a girlfriend, but it wasn't, like, public. Got it. Okay. And so she wasn't, like—
0: I'm Not trying to put you on blast.
1: No, right. no, no. Luckily, she wasn't like, hey, I want to sit at this table. Right. You know, because we were pretty fresh. So she's like, no, take your family and— I watched, She was in school too, so she was doing whatever. But, like uh, that,
0: like that a lot, ride or die. Like yeah. that.
1: <laughs> but um, I was more worried because they they kind of, whoever does your outfit kind of gives you these shoes and the dress shoes. So we're not, as an 18, 19 year old kid, you're not used to walking. So I'm like, just don't trip. You don't mm-hmm. want to be the first guy that trips walking up them stairs. And then there's the person rushing you, right? When you get drafted, like, all right, come on, we got to go. Like, oh, come on, come on. So yeah, you just got to ignore them and just like, all right, I got to at least dap up everyone in the table, right? Your boy on the way that you play to it, whatever. But um, you have like a meeting with Silver or like a lunch before, so you meet him. So I gave him like a little bro hug. So hopefully he hires me as the assistant commissioner when I'm done. Playing. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I like Silver. He would be someone I would give the bro hug. Right. Dave Stern, I may just yeah, like I didn't keep meet, him more professional. I didn't meet
1: Stern either. I didn't get to to shake his hand either. So
0: before we talk about Canada basketball, Canadians in the tournament, obviously. RJ is the guy who gets all of the love and all the press and it's all deserved. You know, he's repping Duke. Nikhil Alexander-Walker for Tech, another ACC school. Ignis, the guy who went to your father's school, um, is a bounce guy with Michigan who has slept on. But I think he could be a lottery pick if he decides right, right. to come out because his game is kind of NBA-ready. My third favorite light-skinned point guard, Andrew Nemhard from <laughs> Florida. And there's obviously Lou with Arizona State, who's been a monster we've got so many yeah, there's a lot impact guys in the tournament this year in terms of Canadians we've got, we've had some years where there's a lot of guys on rosters mm-hmm. now there's a lot of guys leading teams right who's the one guy that you think Canadians may not know their name as we tape today but by the next time we tape they'll know their mm-hmm. name
1: that's tough i want first name that comes i think is andrew nemhart mm.
0: He had hit a the big, big shot. shot to put them in the tournament,
1: right? And I think he's kind of under the radar. Uh, Florida had an up and down year, I feel like, but um, he's really good. I think coming into the year, a lot of people expected him to to be one and done, clear cut. I think he's still has the potential to do that, but um, I think if he has a good tournament, you'll hear his name a lot more. And you know, he's the driving force for Florida. So
0: Brandon Clark would be the guy for me. Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga always has right, Canadians. Uh, and I don't know if i necessarily trust them with my bracket. Yeah, never. Gonzaga never. there's always a shot of like some Gonzaga dude on the ground crying. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And not tears of of happiness. So I and Gonzaga and Virginia, like, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool right. me, like, my entire year of filling out brackets and then uh, I'm not going that way. But Clark, since their draw is a little bit easier, I think he could have some monster games do you fill out a bracket?
1: Yeah, every year I usually do. Usually the teams kind of do like... Everyone fill out a bracket, we'll see who, who does it the best. And it's NBA usu- teams are talking. Yeah, about. and it's usually the guy that says, all right, I'll just, just pick all the, the higher seeds. And But when you overthink it, I think, is when you make mistakes and you're like, oh, well, my boy plays for for this team, so I'll pick it. But um, I actually watched the, the Florida State game, and I, I honestly don't know how to pronounce his name, the guy from uh, the big man, six man of the year in the ACC. I think he's another guy who... A lot of Canadians don't know. And I think if FSU wins some games, then, you know, he'll be out there as well.
0: So when you fill out a bracket, do you always put cues at the end? No. No way.
1: How far I think they'll go, yeah. Right. You know, or or if I do, you know, two brackets, I will. But, you know, you kind of got to be realistic. And I think the the year, uh, the Malachi Richardson year, they exceeded where I thought they'd go. So,
0: Speaking of brackets and Canadians going far, the World Cup... Group selection is done. Canada is in Group H, which means they are grouped with Senegal, Lithuania, and Australia, which is virtually the group of death. And right. The World Cup, I mean, would be nice to win. Ultimately, what matters for Canada, if you haven't been paying attention, is you need to be one of the top two teams in the Americas for a bid, basically, to the Olympics the year after one of the squads in the americas is you guessed it the united states of america so virtually the rest of Fight the for one spot. <laughs> the, rest, the rest of the teams are fighting for one spot that group is really tough when you look at the amount of nba guys from australia and from lithuania but i'm of the belief that if canada has their best players they should feel confident walking into a gym and playing anybody but the usa when you saw the selection, saw the draw, or when you read about it the next morning, because it happened in the middle of the night, what was your initial reaction?
1: Uh, same thing. Just, you know, what a what a terrible group to be, you know, drawn into. I think um, with so many teams there, I think there was the chance that Canada would get a bunch of teams that were able to beat or we think were able to beat right off the bat, but, you know, with the Australia having so much success and experience with, with their roster, um, Lithuania always having a good team, Senegal actually... Played us pretty well when I played two or three years ago, so you know I think it's it's going to be a tough road. But you know, with Canada missing the Olympics, you know we can't really expect an easy road. But I, I don't I don't think the U.S. obviously they have the the most talent, and you know they win every game by fifty points. But you know they have some pretty tough teams to play on the way to the to the finals as well. So it's you know even though they're the, the best team in it, it's not like they they get a pass. So we can't really expect them to look at Canada and give us an easy road. So.
0: So Canada ranked twenty three, and it's tough to really put much stock in that ranking because the majority of those games were played without NBA players. Right, right. The way FIBA has changed uh, their qualification process, but relative, just so you know what we're talking about, Lithuania is ranked sixth, Australia is ranked eleventh, and even Senegal is ranked thirty seventh. So if you look at that average of an average ranking of nineteen. That's the toughest group by far mm-hmm. in the tournament. So. A couple of things we don't know. We don't know who will be available based on health, schedule, contract. And we don't know who will coach the team. Rowan Barrett, the new GM of Canada Basketball, no longer the assistant. Um, as Steve Nash takes a step to the side and is an advisor. And really, from my perspective, Rowan was doing the work of a GM to this point anyways. Has said, listen, I'm open to who the coach is going to be. Just because you coach before doesn't mean you're going to coach moving forward. And just because you have a Canadian passport doesn't mean you're going to be the coach either. I I want to get this right. I want the most qualified person. Do you think the naming of that coach will impact the guys deciding if and when they're available to play? Yeah, I think so.
1: Absolutely. I think it's what a lot of people don't get is, one, everybody's proud to be Canadian and proud to put on the Canadian jersey when they do. But playing for the national team in the summer is a sacrifice you have to make, especially guys coming from Europe that play ten months out of the year and they have two months off and they, you know, kind of sacrificed a month of that summer to go and play because, you know, you don't just kind of show up to the tournament. A lot of people don't realize you're going into a training camp for two weeks and then for two weeks you're playing exhibition games and then you play the tournament. Essentially it's a whole season wrapped up into a month. But Jay Triana was, you know, one of my favorite coaches when I played for the the senior men's national team. You know, so I do think Canada basketball could have handled it differently in the sense of um, if Jay wasn't going to be the coach, I'd rather them come out and kind of announce it rather than coming out and saying, you know, we don't know who it's going to be just because Jay is the standing head coach and the way things work usually in basketball is, you know, the head coach gets fired and then they look for a new one. But we do have a lot of really good coaches and head coaches and basketball minds that are Canadian I don't know if we had a, an American coach in the past, but I think it helps having a Canadian coach. But, you know, I see where Ron's coming from just because we have a, a small window with this much talent and, and hopefully it continues. But who knows that we'll have whatever it is, 15 to 20 NBA guys in EuroLeague and whatever the case is in their primes or, or heading into their primes ready to play. So I've played for Coach Triano and, and I had a great time and me and him, you know, keep in touch. I've also played for Roy Rana and you know, Scott Morrison and a bunch of the names that people are talking about. So I don't think you could go wrong with the group of coaches for the junior national team and the the senior men's, but I do think, you know, that's a a big factor in determining if guys will play or not.
0: Yeah, and there's been rumors in the past that, well, there's certain NBA guys that didn't want to play for Jay or Mm -hmm. didn't want to continue to play for Jay the guy in our country who the conversation is always, if he's not playing, is is Wiggs, is Andrew Wiggins. And in talking to Rowan about it in the past, he's kind of said, well, one, Canada has had a higher percentage of players, pro players play than most other countries outside of the United States who are normally exclusively pro players. Mm -hmm. And two, my door is always open. If someone has an issue with the coach or how they're utilized, Let's same. have the conversation, right? What I don't want is for people to not play and just not and let not me know same. why, right,
1: right, right, right.
0: We're all grown. Let's mm-hmm. just have the the conversation. I you mentioned Scott Morrison. I like that name because I mean, I one, I like him, but two, it's a bit of a bridge. He's a guy who has been an assistant in the NBA. He's been around pro players. He's a young guy can relate to players that are not that much in many cases younger, right. than he is. But he's coached in the G League. He's coached in U sports. Mm-hmm. He's been able to put rosters together with all different types of players, all different styles. So he'll relate to the fact that if you need to fill out the roster with some guys from Europe or some guys from the G League because all of the pro guys aren't available, something that is not foreign mm-hmm. to him.
1: Right, right, right.
0: In terms of guys not wanting to play for someone... Because there's been the rumors around Jay, that's the one conversation. And for you specifically, you've dispelled that. The other guy who people would draw the conclusion because of how he coaches would be Dave Smart Mm -hmm. because he coaches basketball like he's coaching football.
1: Right, right. And he's that
0: (laughs) intense. He's been an assistant, but given the fact that with Carlton, he's won 10 championships in the last 14 years, his name will be in the conversation for a head coaching position is the way a coach manages the roster and communicates with the roster can that be a detriment in a small window of uh, a tournament setting
1: I think so just cuz I was trying to pop off the top of my head I I don't remember any NBA coaches screaming uh at players recently you know I think in the new age of where the you know professional basketball going is the players kind of run the show as opposed to like we talked about this before too is um European the coaches run the show. So in Europe there's coaches screaming, kind of more of a college like setting. And so if you know everybody wants Canada to strictly pick NBA guys and you know fill out the roster kind of like how the US does of all NBA guys and I think you know you need to have a coach that kind of tailors towards the type of group of players you have whereas you know if you're going to fill your roster with the best players then it it really doesn't matter who who the coach is. But, you know, it is a business, obviously. So, you know, I don't think people's feelings will get hurt when it comes down to it. But I do think the, the head coach is a big detail on whether players play. I read something about Kevin Love the other day, talking about Team USA and playing. And one of the reasons he said he would is just, you know, Popovich is coaching. And everyone wants to play for Popovich at some point. And, you know, with his career winding down, unless he signs in San Antonio, he won't get that opportunity. And, you know, you've seen that with Coach K., how much Kobe and LeBron and those guys love playing for Coach K, and I'm sure he was a reason why, you know, they suited up for the U.S. So I think it, it is a time to pick the right coach. It is a very important detail when it comes down to sacrificing, you know, your summer basically to play for play for the team.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've played for Tony McIntyre, your dad, who is it's mm-hmm. not crazy on the sidelines, but he's not soft. Mm-hmm. You've played for Jim Beheim, who is not. Calipari or Frank Martin yeah. you know, making he has a scene, his moments, but he get he yeah. gets intense. He'll throw off his his, his
1: jacket, his jacket
0: <laughs> right? But is it fair to say that you personally wouldn't have an issue playing for smart given the guys you've played for before? Mm-hmm. But you could see other guys having Exactly, an
1: issue? absolutely. I don't mind it just because I, I still view myself as a young guy who's could still learn, obviously, from people that have been coaching for whatever, forty, thirty years. I wouldn't necessarily mind playing for a coach that gets in my face and yells, but I could see a lot of guys who, you know, an example of uh, Tristan Thompson, who, you know, not him specifically, but a guy who's won a championship, he has his money, and, you know, he's an older guy who kind of been around the block, and I don't think he necessarily want to take his time away from vacationing in Paris and all that to, to come back and work out in Toronto and get screamed at for a month straight and have a terrible experience while, you know, kind of sacrificing the summer to do that.
0: There's videos. It's a tough spot. A hundred percent. There's videos of LeBron screaming at Tristan and Tristan going right back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and
0: some people can move like that and handle it and some people can't. And right. that's both on the player and the coach. Right, right, right. Some coaches can't receive that back mm-hmm. from players. So, again, when you really have to get this right, otherwise you're looking at... Another qualifier tournament, another wild card tournament to potentially make the Olympics. Right. And also, then making your Olympic year a lot longer in terms of the amount of basketball you're playing just to, to get, get there. In, yeah. This is such an important summer. Right. And an important decision for Canada basketball. And just talking about who's going to be on the sideline, never mind who's going to be on the court. Part, right. I mean, RJ Barrett has a huge decision mm-hmm. on whether or not he's going to be available to play. Rowan Barrett, I suppose, has a huge decision on whether or not he's going to even put his kid in the pool of people to consider. Right. And then, obviously, with contracts and, and health, there's a bunch of guys who could be there, and this could be squad up in terms of Canada. This could be the best team we ever have, or it could be a roster that's kind of just like makeshift and see if we can squeak through. Just the fact that it's a conversation in Canada... I think it's a good thing.
1: Right. It's progress. But I've seen Wiggins. I've seen Stauskas. I've seen a lot of guys get slack for not playing. But, um, you know, it's tough. You go into the summer. You know, we talked about this earlier. You go into the summer, you know, as a player kind of focused on your development because that's the only time you're able to kind of focus solely on, you know, your shooting, whatever aspect of your game you kind of want, and you have your summer to do that, you know. And, you know, there's sometimes times I, I think Wiggins said, you know, I just want to focus on me i want to focus on getting better and you know some guys would rather do that some guys like to play so it kind of depends you can't really fault a guy for not playing just because you're a fan and you know because the team needs him you know guys got to look out for what their best interest because at the end of the day once wiggins could sacrifice all these years but you know when he's a 35 year old veteran and he's not wiggins anymore and there's a young guy guess who they're gonna go with and that kind of goes to Everything in basketball, from contracts to teams to to everything, you got to kind of look out for your best interest. You know, fans don't always like that.
0: Here's where I think this conversation needs to get to, because you're right, the sole onus is on the player and people basically labeling them as unpatriotic if they put themselves first Mm -hmm. and country second, as if they're like war soldiers and they're supposed to just run off and represent the country and not care about their own well-being. Or their families here's where I would like to see the conversation get to in a bit more realistic fashion people make the comparison of well if you're a hockey player and you're asked you're always going if you're a soccer player and you're asked to go to the World Cup no one says no you're mm-hmm. always going yeah the difference in money that a potential athlete could make if he's scores a great goal at the World Cup or is wearing certain Cleats at the World Cup, or if he's in, in a Hockey Canada ad, mm-hmm. that's part of their brand. Right. For basketball players, all of that stuff off of the court comes from how you perform in the NBA. Absolutely, yeah. Not in how Pretty you percent. perform in the FIBA qualifiers on the zone. Right. Like right. That's, It's just economically, it doesn't make sense. So until Adidas says, "Yo, Wiggs we paid you a lot of money."
1: Yeah, we want you, you know. We're going
0: to need you at the Olympics. Right. And the only way we're sure you get to the Olympics is if you are in this qualifying tournament. Because right. we want that new, you know, Adidas bounce shoe <laughs> to come out in an Olympic colorway. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that's where the conversation needs. And if that happens, that's a great outcome for you guys. Mm-hmm. If Jordan Brand is saying, Tyler, you know, we got some heat for you. Once you get to the Olympics, that's great for you. Right, right. right? That's great for your your profile. Right. So I, it's not just the players. I think it should be a conversation around corporate dollars in Canada and how are we making this experience worthwhile and something that people want to be a part of.
1: Right. And I think every player wants to kind of go to the Olympics and, and experience that. Everybody wants to play for their national team you know but it's just a, a really tough situation for guys especially contract years coming off injury whatever the case may be I think every year we've seen something you know certain guys deal with, with certain aspects of their career that they have to put themselves first and I don't necessarily blame people turning down you know something that's not their sole income if it's going to you know better them in the season
0: well the good thing is we're getting to the point now where we're so deep that, you know, Shea having a nice year in his first year, and as I said, five, six, seven impact guys
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the tournament that could be lottery picks. There's going to be enough guys that at some point, Rowan's going to be like, yo, listen, I got 15 spots on the plane that's going to Japan, mm-hmm. that's going to China, wherever the tournament is. You guys want them or not? Mm-hmm. There's going to be filled by pros, so it's up to you. At some point, people are going to be begging to get in rather than
1: Begging for players, right? Than
0: Rowan begging guys to play. So it's been good. But you have proudly represented Canada. So for that,
1: thank you. Appreciate you, man.
0: Man, Canadians right now are doing crazy things. Bianca Andreescu being the youngest Canadian female to win a singles event, taking home the title at Indian Wells. Same weekend, Alfonso Davies scoring in the Bundesliga at 18 years and four months. The youngest Canadian ever to score internationally. And you know where I saw that Bundesliga goal? On Sportsnet now. This is where I stream... All of my sports, whether it's the NHL, the MLB, the NBA, the Premier League, or the Bundesliga. NHL alone, you've got 500 games at your fingertips at any point in time. And I say on your fingertips because you can do it on many devices, on your computer, on your phone, on your Apple TV app, which is the way I watch and there is so much sports going on right now. This is the best time of year for sports that you have to use the split screen view to make sure you consume it all. That's why you're using Sportsnet Now or you got that money, Sportsnet Now Plus, instead of the traditional cable, which I use as well, but I need to consume all of the content. Make sure you're signing up for Sportsnet Now right now. I don't know what I'd do with it. A sporting country, I don't know what we'd do without our women. Constantly, in every sport, they outperform the men, even though they have less resources. And that's true in basketball. The rise of Canada basketball has been, in many cases, bigger with women. And that's the case for our next guest, Tamara Tatum, who's taken her abilities on the court and transferred them not only to a career off of the court, but also in giving her the ability to inspire young girls, so we're here at MLSC Launchpad, at the all-female community gym event by Tangerine. So, full disclosure: if you hear a bunch of screaming girls or bouncing <laughs> basketballs, that's what it is because they're really excited uh, to be coached and interact with Tamara Tatum. And speaking of excitement, I was watching the warm-ups and you get introduced, mm-hmm. and when. The MC on the mic said, former Olympian. You should see the parents, their faces change, right? What's it like for you to have that on your CV and see how people kind of interact with you maybe a little bit differently because of it? It
2: means a lot, you know. I Being an Olympian, it's something that not a lot of people get the opportunity to do, right? So I really do take pride in being able to represent my country at the highest level on a world stage and really come in and impact people with my story.
0: I say all the time, representation matters. And so for these girls to be able to see you, to see what you've been able to do with the game of basketball, how does that impact what their future might be like?
2: It's all about empowerment, right? So being able to reach a younger generation, of athletes, of girls, of whatever it is you decide to be one day, and just see that there's skies are the limit. Like I didn't think I was gonna be an Olympian when I was 12 or 10 or 11, 15 came later on in life. That dream came later, but I still thought that at some point I'd be successful. I just didn't know what it was gonna be in. So just following the road of this athletic career, it led me to something pretty great.
0: How are the resources and thus the dreams maybe different for the current girls who are 12 or 11 mm-hmm. or 15? What's the difference? There's a see? huge
2: difference. So there's a lot more opportunities for girls in the community to get to events like this. So it's awesome that Tangerine is putting this event on for these girls and getting in the community and really getting them in the gym and seeing that sports is something that can really take you places. Uh, And then there's the off-court things that they'll do. Like There's so much that sports brings out of women, out of people, out of athletes. And you can pretty much develop through this sport. Um, You learn social skills. You learn teammate skills. You learn basketball skills. There's so many things you can learn just from being on the court. At this
0: age that these girls are at that you're working with, the dropout rates Mm -hmm. are much higher for females than they are... For men as as women sometimes are a little bit more social at their age and they want to always be around their friends yeah um, and that may not necessarily be through sport yeah why is it important for them to kind of push through that and still be involved in sport at some point in their life
2: Uh, because it helps develop you it's very important because it helps develop you right so the dropout rate is high but to be able to see the success of females in the community really will help with that, I think. So I didn't get to see a lot of it when I was younger. I was seeing the success of a lot of um, male basketball players or male athletes. And for our young girls this day and age to see how successful females can be might help. It's important because really it's something that'll help you stay out of trouble and kind of (laughs) go down the right path later on in life. Sports is also important for your health, right?
0: You say you didn't have a lot of females to look up to in the sport. Who did inspire you? Who did you look up to?
2: I looked up to my brother a lot. He was playing basketball. He's older. And I wanted to kind of be like him. Uh, We watched a lot of basketball in my house. My parents, my dad, and my brother loved the NBA. So I grew to love watching the NBA as well. So I was looking up to male basketball players on TV to inspire me to continue to play the game. And
0: when you say your brother, you mean Patrick? Yeah, Patrick. <laughs> uh, for listeners, who is now a high-rising and great coach mm-hmm. uh, here in, in Canada, do you look up to him now as a coach, now that you are oh, coaching? Oh,
2: man, I sure do. <laughs> get a lot of advice from him when it does come to coaching and really trying to further my coaching career. I go to him for things and other mentors that I have as well. I have female mentors now as well, so that's awesome too.
0: I mentioned your, your CV and how it impresses people. There's almost three tributaries to it. There's the fact that you're a two-time Olympian, which mm-hmm. you know most people cannot say. Yeah. The fact that you are a gold medalist to Pan Ams, which most people in terms of Canadian basketball can't say, because you guys were trendsetters in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of being a trendsetter as a Canadian, the first Canadian female to coach professionally, mm-hmm. um, a men's team as you were coaching with, with Raptors 905, lots of trailblazing yeah. there. What has that last piece been like this year, coaching men at, at a high level? It's been a great
2: learning experience. The biggest thing for me is growth and to continue to grow as a coach and to have the opportunity to coach with the Raptors 905 has really accelerated my coaching career. I'm learning a lot of new things. I'm learning a lot of things about interaction with players, on-court tactics, off-court meetings, and really how much goes into getting your team to be the greatest it could possibly be. So all of that is really helping me accelerate my growth as a coach.
0: Investing in Canadian players, coaches is important. So, you know, Jemma Mahala gets the opportunity with Raptors 905, a Canadian who was on the Raptors staff for a while. He then invests in you as a Canadian. You Mm -hmm. see how, as Canadians, you start to recycle the opportunity within our country. How did that opportunity come about? What were the initial conversations like with Jemma?
2: It was pretty good. He called me. We got on a phone interview. I was literally just coming back from... I think I just got back from a trip, and I got on the call with him, and it was great. We probably talked for about an hour just about basketball and what I wanted to do with it, and right there, I knew that this is what I wanted to do with him, and I was hoping I'd get the opportunity, and he gave me that opportunity.
0: You're going through that door first, but obviously you want to open it wider for others to come through after you. Do you feel that pressure, that you have to kind of show and prove and you don't want to necessarily be a reason why people say, well, we gave we gave Tatum a chance and that didn't work out. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> I don't feel pressure because at the end of the day, I'm going to try and do the best job I could possibly do within the role that I am at. Of course, it's nerve wracking to start at the beginning because I never coached um male athletes uh never coached at a higher level so to get the opportunity it was a bit i was a bit nervous at the beginning but just being in it and feeling very welcomed by
0: the guys and the coaches that made things easy there's a thought that we want our women to have these great opportunities and that often comes on the men's side but also if we're losing some of our best women coaches to the men's side how are we developing the female side? Where do you, you kind of stand on that theoretical argument?
2: You know, it's all about opportunities. So just like today, all these girls are getting the opportunity to take part in this event with Tangerine and to be in the community. Like it's opportunities for you to see what's out there and to really be inspired through that. So getting the opportunity to coach on the men's side It's something that hasn't really been a focal point in the past. So just getting those opportunities is cool. I don't think it's a matter of losing us to the men's side. It's a matter of really being able to get the opportunity to coach, uh, whether it's men or women. I don't think we should all be looking at like, oh, you're coaching men, they're losing you, this and that. No, I think it's just the opportunities that it's out there for us, and I think we got to run with it whatever you have and whatever your heart is feeling, whatever passions you have, that's what you go with. I don't think just staying in women's basketball because I'm a woman, I should be doing that. If that's what I want, if that's my passion, that's why I should be doing it.
0: Is there a tangible difference between coaching men and women?
2: I think it's more so coaching pro versus varsity Mm -hmm. um, rather than women versus men you're coaching pro athletes, it's different. (laughs) They are getting paid to play and there's not much you can do with certain um, things that happen. They have a life, this is what they do. They're only playing basketball. Coaching varsity athletes, they're going to school, that's their first priority, and then you're there to also develop them into hopefully one day becoming pro. So it's a huge difference in that aspect. Um, women versus men, I, don't, I really can't say because it's pro, I'm coaching pro men versus
0: varsity women. Another part of the sports conversation is equal pay. And you mentioned men are focused on basketball. Oftentimes, women, even when they're pros, had to do something on the side or had to play multiple seasons, both domestically and internationally, to be able to make ends meet. What can we do to foster more opportunities for professional women to be able to focus solely on being the best pro athlete they can be?
2: The more we get support by fans and bringing in revenue in other ways to help with getting equal play would probably be the best Option for us to get more money um, as pro athletes in the WNBA, for example. But the men just get so many more fans and it's such a... Men's basketball is a huge thing in this world. You know, so we're not at that level yet and I'm hopeful that we can get to that level one day. It may not be now, but I'm hopeful for the future.
0: We talk about, in this country, the rise of Canada basketball all the time, right? I feel like I hear that term being used all of the time and mainly when it's used it's in reference to the men's side but really when you look at it the women's side has been risen for a while we've Mm -hmm. been competing on a high level for a while i look at these girls at their age they're shooting the elbows in already yeah i was at uh you know under armor canada elite camp and they were doing kind of euro steps and finishing on the other side of the basket already (laughs) in, in, in elementary school is that an under told story how good our females have been for so long I think it's
2: an undertold story because we haven't got the opportunity to see mm. how good our females have been for so long. So, us winning gold at the Pan Am's really, I think, started the rise of women's basketball and girls' basketball in this country. So many more women and girls started playing basketball because of that crazy summer we had in 2015 of winning those two gold medals. So, I think that helped with the rise of girls' basketball and girls wanting to play this sport. And I think that's the thing that we have to continue to latch onto and hope that it'll keep girls in sport and keep us wanting to grow to be like us. Like, so it's a bit of us being more of an inspiration to girls and continuing to be an inspiration and continuing to help empower them. So, I mean, I'm here because I want to continue to empower the girls. And help them see, like, hey, you can be anything you want, and the sky is the limit. I really truly believe that. And lastly, as
0: you are here spending your time on an off day mm-hmm. as a professional coach to be with these young ladies, they're gonna hear you, but also gonna see you and watch how you move in this space, but also moving forward in in your career. If there's one thing that you want to impress upon them, one thing you want them to learn from your story and maybe take back into their own lives, what would it be? The biggest thing
2: is to dream big and just to like have that audacity to dream big and go after what you want, ask what you want. The more we kind of keep it to ourselves and say, oh, I don't know if I should do it. No, do it. And it's okay to fail, because everyone fails. I didn't make the national team the first time I ever was put in front of a national team. You know, I didn't play in the Ontario team, I didn't do any of that stuff. So my dream, my success came later, after so many failures. And we have to be ready
0: and willing to fail to become successful. Well, it's a message they certainly can take from you. We just finished Black History Month. Now, in the month of March, we're moving into Women's History Month. This is going to be crazy for you maybe to hear, but you're going to be a figure that's referenced in both those months when these girls are older. That's how much you've dreamed big in your short career. Thank you so much for all you do uh, for the game of basketball and for these ladies. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for us on this edition of Free Association. But the basketball conversation never stops. So hit us up on Twitter. I am at Donovan Bennett, the producer who's the brains behind this podcast, Emil Delich. You've heard him on many SportsNet podcasts. At Amendelich is his follow. Make sure you follow our guests as well. Tamera Tatum is at T-T-A-T-H-A-M-13. That's at T -t 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 Tatum13. And of course, Tyler Ennis is at Tyler Ennis. And this is Free Association. Thanks for listening.